highest of heights to the depths of the sea. God was blessing him. He had everything he needed and probably everything that he wanted. I almost wonder if this night when he was on at his palace and he gets up and he walks out, for some reason he's trying to sleep and he's restless. I almost wonder if the devil was just goading him. I almost wonder if God was allowing it. Isn't that scary how God can allow that to happen? You may not like that idea, but in Job it's true. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says David arose from his bed and walked on the roof. The Hebrew verb form of walked suggests that David paced back and forth on the roof. He couldn't sleep and was uneasy. Uneasy because he wasn't where God wanted him to be. He looked to rooftops and saw a woman bathing. David's sin was not in seeing Bathsheba. It was unlikely that he expected or planned to see her. David's sin was in choosing to keep his eyes on an alluring image after the sight came before his eyes. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. So Joab and his armies, they besieged Rabbah for about two years, we believe, before they finally destroyed it. We'll see that at the end of chapter 12. But whenever armies would go against a city, sometimes they would just go and overwhelm it and destroy it with their military might. Other times, as we see what Nebuchadnezzar did with, the, with Jerusalem, what did he do? He didn't just go after it and just because it was a pretty fortified city. So what they would do is they would just surround the city with uh, the whole army and just wait. Because the people got no water. Of course, Israel did because they had the Gahon Spring, but they had no food. And so they'd cut off the spring from its outside source if they could, and then they waited, and they just waited until people died. They died of starvation. And that's what besieging a city did. There's no casualties, or at least, you know, the army on the outside, they're eating, having campfires at night, eating animals and, and living just fine. The people on the inside of Jerusalem, they're dying, they're getting weak, and they just wait until nature takes over, and then they, they basically go in and clean up. So this siege lasted for over two years as Joab and them would go against the city of Rabbah the Ammonites. So it wasn't just something they did. Uh, these men were gone for months at a time, besieging that city, just waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. And this place called Rabbah, it a- actually had two parts to the city. There was an upper city, which was called the Acropolis, known as the Royal City. And then there was a lower city, which is um, right between two wadis, which is basically uh, an area in the mountains where 
the water would flow from the mountains, and it just created kind of like a ravine. And in the dry seasons, it would just look like a river or a dried-up riverbed. But in the rainy season, that's where the water would come down. And this city sat right in the middle of it. There was a top part called the Acropolis or the Royal City, and then the City of Waters down at the lower part of the city. They were connected by a uh, a conduit passage uh, between the two of them. But as we read that first verse, the, a question you have to ask yourself is, is why is David, why was he staying behind and why was he not out with his troops? Was he getting older? Was he more of a liability as, as he began to get older? Was he not the young guy that he used to be? We don't really know, but he stayed behind And who knows, maybe the the army of Israel had become so pronounced at this time and so great that they're thinking to themselves, you know, we don't need David. Let's protect him and just keep him. We can take care of this. And so who knows what it is. But nonetheless, David stays back. And notice verse 2, Then it happened one evening that a David rose from his bed, and he walked on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing. He saw a woman. Underline the word saw because we're going to get to that. He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And again, we have to be very careful. It's usually when we have this idle time. David had this idle time, had this time on his hands, and that's usually the devil's playground. Idle idle time is the devil's playground, the, the phrase says. And so here David is, and the devil had a lot of time to study and take notes on David. He knew exactly where David's Achilles heel was and is. And the devil knows you. I don't like to think about what the devil knows, to be honest with you. I really don't care what he knows about me. Because I, I care more that God is in control and I am um, impervious to anything that the devil wants to do unless God allows it for some reason. But know this that the devil has studied each of you. You don't need to be afraid of him, especially if you're in Christ. You don't have to fear him. But he knows you. He's had a long time to study you. And believe me, he's got volumes written, I'm sure, about each of us. The things that are our Achilles heel, the things that he knows, he's watched, he observed, he's planted the trap before and it worked every single time. Every single time. And then we've never repented. He comes back again and again with the same old bag of tricks. And he does the same thing over and over again. And we fall for the same thing. He doesn't need to bring out the big guns because he knows that the little guns will work just fine. He doesn't need to bring out the big things. Usually he gets everybody with either by encouraging them to be filled with pride or lusting for money or sex or drugs and alcohol. Usually those are the things that kill people. Usually those are the things that destroy lives outside of the church and inside of the church. But what does Peter tell us in his letter in chapter 5, verse 8? He says, be sober. He tells us that. And tonight we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, he's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. (laughs) And that is true for us. Resist him. Resist him, and he will flee. Didn't he flee when he tempted Jesus 
in the Judean desert for 40 days and 40 nights when he was thirsty and hungry? He did. And every time the devil brought an accusation, even using the word of God, which Jesus inspired, he came against him with the word of God. And what did Jesus do? Did he reply back with, hey, get out of my face? No, he replied back with the very same word in the right context and defeated him with words. Defeated him with the word of God. And that says the devil left him. And then angels ministered to him. And so he is a roaring lion. And he's feeding on a lot of flesh today. He's feeding a lot on the world. Those are the easy things. Those are the, those are the, the world and those outside of the church are those wounded gazelles that are, that are in the very back of the pack. And the, the gazelles are running across the safari and, and you got these few whose hamstrings have been wounded and they can't run very fast. That's what the world is. They're easy. And the devil goes after him. He's, it's easy. Ah, but the Christian, he goes after us too. He can't take our salvation away. The Satan knows that. He can't take our salvation, but oh, how he loves to mar the witness and to destroy the heart of a Christian. He can't take your salvation away, but he can take your family away. He can take your job away. He can take your assurance of salvation. Notice I didn't say he, he can't take away your salvation, but your assurance is going to be shaken because you have fallen And when you fall enough, you begin to think and you listen to the devil's lies when he says, are you sure you're one of his? You've been falling for the same thing for ever since I've known you, the devil says. Every time I come at you, you fall like a deck of cards. And then we have no assurance because we haven't resisted him. We haven't prayed and got on our knees and and cried out to God and really fasted if necessary and say, Lord, deliver me from this thing, whatever it is. Every one of us in this room have some Achilles heel of something. Have you prayed about it? Are you resisting him? Or are you just caving in and just asking God to forgive you? Yes, he will forgive you. Forgive you he does when a child of God turns and, and confesses it. But what we need is the gift of repentance too. The gift of repentance is more than just asking God to forgive me, and God does forgive. That's His promise to you if you confess it. But there's something even greater, and you can say, Lord, give me the gift of repentance. Give me the gift so that I don't want to do this again. That when I'm, uh, when I, when I'm approached by this very same thing again, I understand through experience that all it does is bring me heartache. It brings me heartache, and I feel awful. So, The next time you fall for that thing that you've been falling for at different times in your life, think about this. (laughs) And I know you do, because I do. You think to yourself, you know what? I remember how it feels when I fail. I don't want to do that again. I'm sick of that feeling. I'm sick of that experience. I'm sick of taking my relationship with Christ for the moment, for whatever it is, and crumpling it up and throwing it off to the side. I'm tired of doing that. Are you tired of doing that? The devil knows. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't be worried about what he, what he knows. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. And he's certainly not omnipresent. But does he know you? Yes, he does. He does. But I'm so glad that someone knows me a lot better than he does. And I'm so glad that we have an advocate, Jesus. Amen? Yes. So... 
David, again, probably at the height of his, of his kingdom at this time. And notice, he was established, he was secure, he was famous. He was a guitarist. Well, he was a harpist, but I call him, it's, a, it's an old-fashioned guitar is really what it is. So he was a guitarist, he was a songwriter, probably handsome guy, red hair. God was blessing him. He had everything he needed and probably everything that he wanted. I almost wonder if this night when he was on, at his palace and he gets up and he walks out, for some reason he's trying to sleep and he's restless. I almost wonder if the devil was just goading him. I almost wonder if God was allowing it. Isn't that scary how God can allow that to happen? You may not like that idea, but in Job it's true. God sometimes allows us. He tests us. Not, not to tempt us to, to sin, but he allows us to be tested. Because God already knows what we're going to do, but we don't. I can speak a big game all I want, but only God knows truly what I would, how I would respond when faced with certain circumstances. And so I wonder if David that night, as he's laying in bed, he just can't sleep. He's just turning and turning and turning. And finally he's like, oh, give me a break. And... He says, well, I'll just go up and walk around on the top of my palace and just get some fresh air as the moon is coming down. And I'll just look up at the sky and remember those days when I was in the field with the sheep when I was a young kid. So David goes out there. And the devil, he's always trying to ensnare the man or woman of God. That's why it says in Ephesians, Chapter 5, verse 15, it says, The exhortation is, See then that you walk circumspectly. Walk as if you, as if everybody's watching. And know that as you do walk in this earth, Christian, that there are people watching us, right? And they have a right to watch us because we're telling them about this wonderful Savior of ours. So they are watching. And don't be discouraged when you fall. You just confess and you get back up again. But you know what? The devil just wants to pound us. He, 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 he just wants to beat us and tell us that we're no good. But don't you listen to him. The righteous man falls seven times and he gets right back up again. But Satan loves to destroy the witness, the credibility, the lives of Christian men especially in positions of leadership. And certainly David, as the king of Israel, he was in a very great position of leadership. You know, over the decades in America, uh, in America and abroad, there have been many pastors who have fallen into sexual sins and sins relating to money and extortion and fraud and all these other things. And I would encourage you, you know, it's really important to pray for those in spiritual leadership positions in the church, whether they be pastors, teachers, worship leaders, Sunday school teachers, or even just business men and women working in the world. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. We need to be prayed for, and we pray for you. And don't think that you don't need it. Because what is that passage that we read in First Peter? He's, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's always seeking. Guys, when you're at your job, what about that cute secretary? How often are you there alone when all the other workers are not around? What are you doing? Are you sitting and talking to her? Are you letting her cry on your shoulder? You better be very careful. When you go on business trips and you've got a female colleague who's in a different room and you're a married man, what are you thinking about? What happens, especially if she finds you attractive? What are you doing? What are you thinking? 
What opportunities are being made available? And David was, he was like a sitting duck here. He'd gotten up and he's roaming around the top of his palace. Do you remember that, the movie, The Lord of the Rings? There was a time, (laughs) and I was just reminded of this, when Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, where they were walking and they were getting lost, and they were in the, in the mountains, and they were getting lost. And there came a point where Frodo looked at Samwise, and he says, we're being watched. We're being watched. And that's really what we are. We're being watched. And again, not to spook you. I've spent enough time on this. But it is true. We are being watched. But thank God, we, are, we have one who is watching over us. And don't find this unusual, because remember in Job chapter 1, and this is a doctrine that people don't like to talk about, but it is true. And it's that God will allow sometimes for us to be tempted and to be chastened. It says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? And Satan, notice, Satan's actually able to present himself in heaven. Did you know that's still true today? He's able to blaspheme you. He's able to bring accusations against you. And he doesn't do it from hell. Oh no, he's very active in the world and he can ascend to heaven. There's coming a time where he won't be able to ascend to heaven anymore. But he accuses you before the Lord. So he, at this time, he goes and, he, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. God knew who who Job was. He knew he was a really wonderful man. But the the wonderful man had to go through a testing to really reveal how great that was. Job needed to know that for himself. Again, if if, if things are going well for me all the time, I usually don't grow. I, I get lazy. And I'm not saying that Job was lazy. And maybe you're not lazy. But the average person is. We get used to things. We get lazy. We get lax. But the Lord knew Job, and also God knew what Job was going to be like on the other side of this great trial that he would go through. And what, what did Satan answer him? Satan answered and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not set a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the guy. you blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Ah, the Lord said to Satan, Hey, behold, all that, is in, that he has is in your power only. Notice, here is the leash that's put on Satan. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He did that very thing, didn't he? He took his whole family away by disasters after disasters. And he even, we'll find out in chapter 2, that he finally lays his, or chapter 4, or chapter 2, even Job is struck with the boils and the things that he went through. And you may think to yourself, how could a loving God do that? Well, Job was a great man. Job was a great man. But Job needed to go through what he, needed, what he went through because God was refining him. I'm usually not refined when, I'm, when everything is going great. I'm usually refined when things are going really hard and I feel like I'm just at the end of my rope. Have you found yourself at the end of the rope? Don't be discouraged because what God is doing is refining your faith. He knows our faith. He knows exactly where I am and where I am not. I don't know that until I go through certain things and God says, ah, 
you thought you were that, Rob. And guess what? You really you learned something, didn't you? And I'm like, yes, Lord. I learned that I really wasn't all I thought I was. I realized that I wasn't as strong in that area as I thought I was. And God says, you know what? That's okay. Because next time, I know that you'll know. And you'll rely more upon me. And there not that where the victory is? See, we don't know ourselves. And God was going to do something in Job's life that at the end of all of this, he would just totally magnify the man. He would be vindicated in front of his friends who saw him as just a self-righteous man. He'd be vindicated before the devil. <laughs> and he hates that. You know, sometimes God gives you a discerning, gives you discernment and eyes to see things. Even maybe a word of knowledge concerning how Satan is setting up someone in your life, perhaps even setting you up, giving you understanding, giving you a word of knowledge, giving you discernment to see things as he sees them, and pray for that in the days we live in, that God will give you great discernment, first for yourself and for others, that you could discern what the devil is trying to do and how he's trying to set you up. Because believe me, he is trying at this moment. He is trying to set you up. But don't worry about him, even though I've talked a lot about him tonight. Um, But this is a passage we have to look at, and we have to be sober and be vigilant, like Peter tells us, right? There's a, in Proverbs, Solomon wrote, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes forth the issues of life. The word keep is so wonderful. What it means is to literally guard it, to maintain it, to, um, to preserve it, to sustain it, to watch over it. And that requires diligence. It's not just, you know, keep your heart. Well, what does that mean? Well, you keep it with diligence. You think about what you're doing. Be always thoughtful and be always prayerful, especially when things are going really great and things are just kind of moving along and things are just going like cake. Those are the times that usually the devil likes to come in with a baseball bat and just wipe my shins away and knock me on the floor when I'm just soaring like, an, soaring like an eagle. And I've noticed that even in our times together at church, did you ever notice that after we went out and witnessed in the, into, the, into the communities, did any of you recognize that after that was over with, how you felt this great sense of, you know, hey, I, did, you know, I was glad to do this. It was a good thing for me to do. And did any of you experience some hardship or some kind of devastation, <laughs> some kind of trial that happened in your life? Something difficult. These things do happen. But notice in verse 2 that it happened that evening that he was walking around. Notice from the roof he saw a woman. And I had you underline that for a reason. Because this wasn't just something where David was looking around and just saw Bathsheba. Because guess what? All of um, David's generals, those 30 mighty men of David's, do you think that they lived near the, near the palace? You better believe they did. They were surrounding David and all their homes. And Uriah was one of his 30 men, 30 mighty men. And, who is, and, and, and Uriah is out in battle. He's across the Jordan River uh, in a siege against Rabbah, modern-day Ammon. <laughs> and so David's there, and his wife's up there bathing. She's up there bathing, and David saw her. It's not just he glanced over, oh, my gosh, I'm going back inside. No, did David do that? No, he, he gay. He saw her. In the Hebrew, the word means to stare or to gaze upon or inspect. He was checking her out. 
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.